saying together. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long. In your presence, all I feel is I'll wash away, wash away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises, Hosanna. Way out. 
That's why we're here this morning, to magnify the name of Christ. Amen? Well, good morning and welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, we maybe have some guests with us this morning. Thank you for coming. Maybe this is your first time, maybe uh, your second time. We're, we're delighted to have you. If this is your first time, inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. Uh, there's a box out there in the foyer for you to place that, or you can just hand it to, to myself or Pastor BJ. Uh, again, we're delighted to have you uh, with us, so thankful that you are here this morning. Let me make some announcements, and then we're going to spend uh, a few minutes in prayer. Uh, I think it is important in light of what has happened here in Noonan over the last couple of days that as a church, uh, we spend some time in prayer. But I want to uh, go over just a few announcements with you. There's a lot in the bulletin, so I hope you're reading that, paying attention uh, this afternoon, we have a, a bridal shower for Lindsay Morris at 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, so you want to make note of that. Um, also, in regards to that, they are uh, getting married. You guys knew that, I think, right? Uh, her and uh, Kenneth. Yeah, that's exciting. And so we're, we're one month away. One month away. And so if you are planning on coming, it would be very, very helpful to them if you would please RSVP. By, I got a date here, March 31st. So um, you can find the information on their website. If, if you don't know about their website, just see them. They can tell you how you can RSVP. But if you're planning on coming, it'd be very, very helpful uh, if you will please let them know that by this Wednesday. Next weekend is Easter Sunday. Anybody excited about that? I hope you are. I know I'm excited. Because last Easter, there was like 15 of you in here when I preached. And so I'm hoping this next week there'll be more than that. So uh, our, our times are in there. We're going to have a good Friday service this Friday at 7 o'clock. I want to encourage you to come. We're going to do Lord's Supper together uh, as a church. And so I want you to be there for that sunrise service. Last week in the bulletin, it was listed at 7. It's actually going to be at 720. Um, it would have been helpful if I would have checked to see when the sun was going to rise before last Sunday, but I failed to do that. So 7 a.m. is a little too early, so we're going to meet about 7.20, and then our Easter service will be in here at 10.30, and so we would love for you to attend. If you're going to be out of town or maybe you're watching online and you still haven't been comfortable coming back, we still want you to join us uh, as well. Um, you'll notice there's uh, an announcement in here about a membership class. We have had a lot of people... Uh, either express interest in joining or you've been visiting with us. And so we're going to have a new members class. So that is for anyone who has joined or who is thinking about joining. We're going to do it on Sunday, April 25th, right after the morning worship service. We'll provide lunch for you. Uh, we'll be here about an hour, hour and a half, just kind of going through what is Northside, what do we believe, how can you serve, because this is a family. And if you join with us, we want you to be involved in that and not just you just show up. We want you to be actively uh, engaged with us. Um, it says, see Pastor Aaron for the booklet. We'll have those booklets available for you 
next week. And let me draw your attention to one more thing. I bragged on Northside last week, and I'm going to brag on Northside again. If you are looking for a church, I just want you to see in the bulletin that our goal for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering was $4,500, and we have already received $7,970. Can we just praise God for a minute? And so you can still give today. Envelopes are out there in the foyer. You can place that gift in the envelope. You can put it in the box. We are not going to show a video this morning. Instead, what we're going to do is, is pray. Part of what Annie Armstrong does is it goes to North American missions. And right now, we have a lot of people who have come to Noonan, Georgia, because Noonan, Georgia is in need of help. Uh, Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief is already here on site. They're set up at Heatherwood Baptist Church. They're here just trying to assess and, and minister. And so I know, look, you all, most of you have been in Noonan a lot longer than my family has. And I already know my love for this city. And your love for this city is probably even greater than that. And, and there are a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are grieving, and they have experienced a great amount of loss. And when you look at pictures and you see the amount of loss, I am amazed and grateful for the providence of God and how many people were actually spared. I was trying to find this morning the latest results, and the only thing that I could see was between Alabama and Georgia, and, and that night there were six people, seven people maybe that died. But even from my reading, most of that happened in Alabama. And when you see pictures of these homes that have been leveled, and you think that maybe one person here in Noonan, I think, that I know of lost their life, Man, that is the providence of God. And so I'm just so thankful for Him and His protection. Uh, some of you have already asked, look, how are we as Northside going to help? I have been amazed and, and thrilled beyond measure to see Noonan and the support of Noonan and people coming together. Look, I prayed this morning in our prayer time, some of the guys gathered to pray. There are some people who would like us to think our country is really, really divided. But what I've seen the last couple of days is we're not as divided as some people would like us to believe. I mean, our city came together so much so that I, I, I've seen, seen Noonan Police Department saying, listen, thank you for the donations, but we got to put a, a halt on that. we got to pause that. There's going to be more needs that will arise to so many volunteers showing up that they're saying, listen, we, we can't have any more volunteers right now. we gotta, we got to figure out how we can best serve this. And so Northside at this point, we're just kind of in a waiting pattern. There's going to be needs that arise, whether it's through Samaritan's Purse or the Georgia Baptist Disaster Relief, or we're going to have opportunities to serve, actually get out in the community and help. Our men's ministry is going to meet for a few minutes after our service this morning. If you're a part of that, we're going to start to think already, how can we maybe be, be ready to help? There's going to be opportunities where we'll call for donations as a church and we'll take them. That's going to come in the weeks to come when this first wave is used and, and they need more. One, one way that I know that you can help, Ms. Barbara shared this with me when she came in, is that Bridging the Gap, uh, we've done some ministry there, they have tarps um, and they're passing those out today. So if you know of people who need tarps, get a hold of them and send them to Bridging the Gap. Also today at noon, uh, they're needing some volunteers. So if you have the afternoon free and you want to head to Bridging, head to Bridging the Gap and you want to serve, they're in need of volunteers wear your clothes, toed shoes, um, and, and that is one way that we know that you can serve today if you were looking for a way to start serving immediately. But here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to spend a few minutes in prayer. 
Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I want you to pray right where you are for our city. And if you are able, I understand sometimes it gets a little tight, but if you're able, maybe you're on the ends or you physically can, I'm just going to ask you to get on your knees. Um, there's something about just humbling ourselves before God. And so if you are able and you're in a position, if you'll just get on your knees, if you can, if not, you can just bow your head and your heart, and let's just go to the Lord and pray for our city um, and, and how the churches can be prepared to help. Father, I want to begin our prayer time by just saying thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for your provision, for your providence. God, for just watching over noon in Georgia, the surrounding areas. Lord, there was a lot of devastation, homes destroyed. And Lord, I can't imagine the grief and the pain and the uncertainty that so many people in our city are dealing with right now. But Father, when we look at those pictures and we, we see that there was minimal loss of life, God, we can't help but say thank you. Thank you, God, for sparing them. Thank you, God, for sparing our church families. As many families and many of our church folks, their homes are right there in the vicinity of where this tornado came through. And Father, there's even minimal damage there. And we thank you for that. But Father, we do want to come together as a church on our knees or with our hearts bowed. Father, we, we just want to lift up our community. Lord, I, I can't imagine. I've never been through that personally, that amount of suffering. To be able to look around and God, just see everything you've worked hard for is just gone. It's destroyed. And the, and the questions that begin to flood your mind. And Father, as we will see in our text this morning, no one, no one knows suffering. Jesus, the way that you know suffering. No one knows more than you the pain and the hurt that our city is going through. So many people right now may be saying, why, God, where were you? But yet, God, we know where you were. You were in control of it all, sovereign over it all. And as as important as stuff may be, we know that our souls matter infinitely more. And there is hope and joy and peace through Jesus Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection. And so, Father, we pray that in, in this moment of darkness for some people, confusion for some people, just great loss, that we as your church would shine bright the light of Jesus. That we would do that in our words, but that we would do that with our hands and our feet as we have opportunities to serve, maybe cutting down trees or clearing roads or, or helping even rebuild, or maybe it's just donating food or offering a shower or a place for someone to stay. Lord, just to be the hands and feet of Christ. Lord, we just sang, Christ be magnified. We have an opportunity as a church and as disaster relief agencies to, to magnify the name of Christ as we seek to serve and love our community. And may they say of Northside, they were there. They were ready. And we saw Jesus in and through them. Fathers, we continue to worship today. Be magnified. Be magnified, be glorified. Spirit of God, move in this place and have your way among us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand and let's continue to worship together.
remain standing, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word, and take your Bibles and turn to John 19. John 19, verses 28 through 29. I don't know about anybody else, but as the choir was singing about Jesus Christ coming, I found myself just saying, come Lord Jesus, come now, come now, and I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come. We're living in a world of so much pain and so much suffering, and yet our text this morning, I pray, will bring us great comfort that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. John 19, beginning in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You may be seated. Before I began this current series that we're in, the seven sayings from the cross, I quizzed Landon and Ryan. It was, uh, they didn't have a lot of time, so I didn't give them like 30 minutes to think about it. But I asked them how many of Jesus' seven statements that he makes from the cross do you remember? And again, they had to pretty quick. And they both got the same amount. And they remembered the same ones. They both remembered the first four that Jesus says. Right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, Truly, I say to you, you'll be with me today in Paradise, woman, behold your son, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They both remember Jesus' sixth statement, which occurs in the verses that we just read. It is finished. The two that they failed to remember in the brief amount of time that I gave them was the last statement of Jesus that he makes that we'll look at in two weeks. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And they both forgot, I thirst. And the reason I bring that up is, is because I wonder if I were to have quizzed you five weeks ago, I wonder if the one that most of us would forget is Jesus' statement, I thirst. It seems to be, on the surface, the most insignificant. Maybe at this moment you're thinking, all right, pastor, how can you preach a 30-minute sermon on I thirst? It's two words in English. It's one word in Greek, dipso. And yet I have to tell you, last night I was taking things out of my sermon notes because there's a lot here. A lot that maybe we don't see on the surface. There's a lot more that certainly we could get to that we won't touch on this morning. So here's what I want to do. I just simply want to draw your attention to three words that we see in these verses. Three words. I want to ask three questions. Question number one, what did Jesus know? What did Jesus know? Look with me in verse 28. After this, Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing, that word knowing, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. What did Jesus know? Well, we see here that Jesus knowing that all was now finished. That word finished is the Greek word to telestai. We'll see that word next week. It's the same word Jesus uses when he says it is finished. 
to Telestai. Jesus, hanging upon the cross, knows that it is now finished, that his final breaths are about to take place, that he is about to die, right? This statement, I thirst, shows us the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the sovereign one. What does Jesus know? Let's make this really simple. Jesus knows everything. He knows everything because he is God. He's God in the flesh. Right now, Jesus knows what you're thinking. Right? He knows your struggles. He knows your temptations. He knows your sufferings. Jesus knew that the plan of God was to redeem sinners, and he knew that it was now almost finished. Jesus, the God-man, knows everything, including the Scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. Look what it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, I thirst. And John lets us know why he says it. To fulfill the scriptures. Jesus Christ knew the scriptures. And he came to fulfill them. Luke chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus reads out of Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 61. And then he says these words. Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Two things really quick. Number one, Jesus believed that the Old Testament, Isaiah 61, he's just read it from the scroll, he believes that is the word of God. Is the Old Testament scripture the word of God? Absolutely. Jesus believed it was. He quoted from it often. And the other thing Jesus believed is that he was the one fulfilling it. Right, He reads about how this one was to come and set the captives free. And he goes on and he says, this is now being fulfilled. I am the one who is to do all of this. Church, Jesus knew the scriptures and he fulfills the scriptures. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 53. Let me just show you a couple of examples of this out of the same chapter. Isaiah 53, you are familiar with these verses. Verse 13 of 52 says, Behold my servant... This is talking about this, the Messiah that is to come, the suffering servant. And Jesus is indeed the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, let's pick up in verse 3. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant. Drop down to verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. John 19.34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. What does Isaiah 53 say? He was pierced. He was pierced. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ dies for our sins. He that knew no sin right, became sin for us. Jesus bears our sins. He bears our iniquities. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why did the Father send the Son? Why did the Son come? He came to die. It was the will of God that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of his people. Verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
Matthew 27, 44 says, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus, right, fulfilling Isaiah 53 here, but look what else it says. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. What does Jesus cry from the cross? Father, what? Forgive them. He is interceding for these criminals, for the transgressors. Jesus Christ knew the Scriptures. He knew He came to fulfill them. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross in His final moments, these last three sayings of Jesus more than likely came one right after the other. You're talking a matter of minutes, if not seconds, that at the very end He begins to say these last three words. And He says, to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst, because He knew it had not yet been fulfilled. It's Psalm 69, verse 21. It says this, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. What happens after Jesus says, I thirst? Verse 29, A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. This was a sour wine. It was a low-grade, cheap wine. It was the kind of wine that the Roman soldiers would drink. That's why they had it on hand. And so Jesus cries out, I thirst, to fulfill the Scriptures. They quickly right, get this sponge to hiss a branch. They lift it up to Him and He takes a drink, thereby fulfilling this Old Testament Scripture. Jesus Christ lived His life, and the Scripture was always on His mind. He quotes it constantly. And here Jesus Christ dies and what's on His mind? The Scriptures. There was a Scripture that still had to be fulfilled. And so He says, I thirst. I also want you to understand this morning that Jesus Christ was completely surrendered to the Father's will. Completely surrendered to the Father's will. Jesus chose obedience to the Father over His own comfort. Erwin Lutzer writes, Jesus was submissive to the Father's will as recorded in the Father's Word. It mattered not whether it was pleasant or torturous. The glory of the Father overshadowed all suffering, pain, and injustice. Jesus came to do the Father's will. Jesus has been thirsty for who knows how long. Jesus has already turned water into wine. You think Jesus couldn't have cried out, let it rain, and it just wouldn't have started pouring the rain, and he could have just opened his mouth and drank. You think Jesus could not have provided for his own body to be replenished? But he doesn't. Because he is driven and he is motivated to fulfill and obey the word of God at all costs, even if he is uncomfortable. Church, I wonder this morning, are your comforts, is my comfort more valuable to us than the very will of God? Are we more, comfort, are we more concerned with our comfort level than we are the will of God? We just sang Christ be magnified. And we talked about how we, we're not going to bow down to idols and how we're going to stand strong. And if we have to suffer, if we have to go through the fire, that we know that Jesus went through it first, that we're willing to do that. But man, I wonder, church, are we really willing to suffer if that is the plan of God for us in that moment? I also wonder, church, 
Are we going to be a people who continue to stand strong upon the Word of God? Are we going to hold fast to the Scriptures the way that Jesus held fast to the very Word of God? Are we willing to say this is the authoritative, inerrant, inspired, sufficient Word of God? And I will stand on it even if a culture stands against me. That I will go to jail and I will lose my job and it will cost me everything, but I will not move from the very words of God. Are we committed to preaching the truth in love? The truth, the truth of God's word in love. Are we willing to take the stand? Jesus held fast to the scriptures. He fulfilled the scriptures. He was faithful to the Father's will. Will we hold fast to the scriptures? Will we be faithful to the will of God? Second question. What did Jesus say? One word. Two words in English. I thirst. One word in Greek. Dipso. Now we may be tempted to think that this is the most, as I already said, insignificant of Jesus' seven sayings from the cross. Like if you were to rank them in order of significance, I thirst might be at the bottom for most of us. Yet I would argue of all the statements that Jesus makes, this is the most human. And it is the one that we identify with the most. See, Jesus says, I thirst. And in saying it, it shows us his humanity. It shows us his humanity. How many times have you been thirsty? Anybody thirsty right now? Now that I'm thinking about drinking, my mouth started to get a little dry myself, right? Um, right? We, we, we can relate. We have been thirsty. I thirst shows Jesus' humanity. As, as Christians, we have been quick to hold fast to and preach the deity of Christ. That Jesus is fully God. But we also must hold fast to the truth that Jesus is fully man. The first doctrine that the early church had to refute was Gnosticism. It was a denial that Jesus, who they said was God, could actually take on flesh. Because they believed the flesh was evil. Matter was evil. We believe God created the body. That the body is good. That yes, sin has destroyed and, and wreaked havoc and, and marred the image of God. But the body is still good. We believe that God took on flesh. That Jesus on the cross is fully God, yet fully man. And when he says, I thirst, it shows us that he indeed is man. But I thirst also shows us Jesus' suffering. Church, it had been a long night, even for Jesus. He'd gathered with his disciples there in the upper room. They had had the Passover meal. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus begins to pray. And he is sweating drops of what? Blood. He is then arrested. And he goes through trial after trial, all of them which are a farce. All of them, false witness after false witness. It had been a long night. He had been spit upon and he had been mocked and he had been beaten and he had been flogged and a crown of thorns shoved upon his brow and he is forced to carry the cross and he is so weak he can't even carry it all the way and another man picks it up and carries it. He has been nailed to the cross. He is hanging there from the third hour, 9 a.m. in the morning. He had been there for three hours and darkness begins to cover the land. He is now at the very end. He has been on the cross for six hours experiencing a loss of blood. Experiencing exposure to the sun and the heat. He has to be exhausted. And he has to be dehydrated. 
You ever been dehydrated? You know how that affects your body? And there's Jesus hanging on the cross, and He cries out, I thirst. And they quickly bring Him something to drink. Now you and I need to understand, this wasn't the first time Jesus was offered a drink. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark 15. Mark 15. A lot of Scripture this morning I want you to see. Mark 15, verses 22 and 23. Man, as we think about the suffering Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Mark 15, 22. By the way, I love to hear your pages turn. I know some of you are using like iPads and stuff, and so I can't hear that, but I'm just thankful you got the Word of God open. Mark 15, verse 22, And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. First time he's offered a drink. It's wine mixed with myrrh. You study commentaries, you study history. Jewish women would often, would, would, off, would often create this concoction, and they would offer it up to people who were, were hurting. It was, in essence, a sedative. It was meant to numb the pain. Look, I'm not the most macho of men. I don't handle pain well. You offer me something for the pain and I got a headache, I'm going to take it. If my back's hurting, give me something. I'm not going to suffer. Some of you ladies, you gave birth and you were like, I don't want an epidural. My wife was like, give me the epidural as fast as you can. That's just how we are. We don't like pain. Jesus has offered here something that will numb the pain just a little bit. And what does he do? He denies it. He doesn't take it. Sign me up right now. Give, give, me, give it to me. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Why? Because Jesus didn't want anything to numb the pain of what he was getting ready to experience. Jesus knew he was getting ready to drink the cup of the wrath of God. He knew the amount of suffering he was getting ready to endure. And he wanted to feel all of it. He paid it all. He felt it all. He experienced a pain that you and I, many of us, will never know. He bears the full weight of God's wrath for our sin. And he is fully aware of what he is taking for us. Look at verse 29. Something else I want you to see. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a, what kind of branch? Hyssop. When you hear the word hyssop, what do you think of? Passover. Every Jewish person, when they heard hyssop, would go back to the Passover. Let me read for you Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. Let me put it in the context. There has been nine plagues that have happened that have fallen upon the Egyptians. The people of God, the Israelites, have been spared. The tenth plague is getting ready to come. It's the death of the firstborn. It's going to hit every household. But God is going to spare his people. How will he spare them? Exodus chapter 12, verse 22 says they took hyssop. They dipped it in the blood, they touched the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood. So when morning comes, every Israelite home who had followed the instructions of God, they took the hyssop and they put the blood over the doorpost. Their firstborn was still alive. Can you imagine the wailing that must have been taking place in Egypt? In every home, the firstborn is dead, but the people of God are spared. They're delivered. Why? They are delivered because a lamb was slaughtered. They are delivered because a lamb suffered. And the hyssop was used 
to take the blood and cover the doorpost. Church, you are saved because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slaughtered for you. He was slaughtered for you. This takes us back to the first Passover. Jesus Christ was slaughtered for you and I. He suffered for you and I. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, but would you give your life to Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. Only He can save you from your sins. And He is thirsty. One last question. What did Jesus do? What did He do? Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, they offer it up to him and he takes a drink. I don't know how much, maybe it was a sip, but he receives it. He doesn't turn it away, he receives it. And as he receives this, though it wasn't a cup, I think of drinking out of a cup, as he receives it, it's as if he is receiving the cup of God's wrath. He is drinking from far more than a sponge on a hyssop branch. He is drinking a cup of suffering. He is drinking the cup of the wrath of God. What does Jesus experience while on the cross? Just a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. We talked last week, he experiences darkness. Darkness surrounds him. We talked last week that he experiences separation from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is also now experiencing a thirst, a burning thirst that I could not even begin to imagine. Darkness, separation from God, and thirst. What's that sound like? Sounds like hell to me. Does it not? Matthew 8, 12. They will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. In Luke 16, Jesus tells us right about these, these two men, a rich man and Lazarus. We read there in verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Church, I deserve hell. I deserve darkness. I deserve to be separated from God in a real place called hell. I deserve to live forever with a thirst that is never quenched because of my sin. But on the cross, Jesus endures hell so I don't have to. And he experiences what I should have experienced, He does it to save me from my sins. I thirst. I thirst. The most human of Jesus' seven statements, but as we, as we come to an end, I want us to consider one more thing for the next couple minutes. And that is this. Not only was it the most human, but it was the most ironic of statements. Jesus is the living water. And yet he says, I thirst. A.W. Pink writes, The maker of heaven and earth with parched lips. The Lord of glory in need of a drink. The living water crying out, I thirst. We thirst because we are human. 
And as humans, we need water. We can't survive without it. We thirst. And here is Jesus, fully God, yet fully man, the God-man, and he thirsts. Jesus Christ knows suffering. He is the great high priest who sympathizes with your weakness. No one knows your pain. No one knows your hurt more than Jesus Christ. A.W. Pink in his book on the seven sayings of of the cross. If you're looking for a book that just is really, really good, I recommend his book on the seven sayings of the cross. I mean, I could probably preach entire sermons and just quote his books. And I quote him every week because it's just good stuff. He says this, is your body racked with pain? So was his. Are you misunderstood, misjudged, misrepresented? So was he. Have those who were nearest and dearest turned away from you? They did from him. Are you in darkness? So was he for three hours. Another person writes, The arrow of suffering that has pierced you lately was first stained with his blood. The cup which you have been made to drink bears the mark of his lips. One person said, Our God once thirsted like we do. Our God entered the world of human suffering. He suffered Himself, and He has the scars to prove it. Jesus said, I thirst. So let me ask you this morning, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? The psalmist said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I don't have time to unpack this this morning, but I think when Jesus said, I thirst, he was talking about fulfilling the scripture, needing a drink, but I think he was also thirsting for the very presence of God. I thirst. Are you seeking after, living for God? Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In John 6, 35, we read, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 7, 37 says, on the last day of the feast, and I remember David doing this on a Sunday night. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. David got up on a chair and actually cried it out. It was much better than I could do. But Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Every person in this room, every single one of you watching online, you're thirsting after something. You're thirsting after something. And what you need is more than Gatorade. Gatorade claims to be the thirst quencher. It just makes you thirsty. Eventually, you're going to need more Gatorade. You need something that will actually quench your thirst. Something that will satisfy you far more than the world has to offer. Now look, some of you, you're trying to quench that thirst. Some of you, you've been there. You've turned to alcohol. You turned to drugs. You remember that period of your life because you were thirsty and you were looking for something to satisfy you. Some of you right now, maybe you are turning to sex or you are turning to money. Right? You are in love with money. You think the more money you have, the happier you will be. And this is your pursuit. This is what you want more than anything. Or you're pursuing power. Some of you are thirsting after the things of the world because you think they will fulfill you. But hear me. Sin only makes the soul thirst more. Sin cannot satisfy your thirst. It only makes you thirst for something else. Only Jesus, the one who said, I thirst, only he can refresh you. Only he can satisfy you. Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Oh, church, this morning, will you thirst for God? Will you thirst for the things of God? Will you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Oh, will we be a church who thirsts for the souls of men and women to be saved? Will you thirst for your spouse to be saved? Will you begin to thirst that your children will return to the Lord or they will give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you begin to thirst that your co-workers might come to know Jesus, that your classmates, middle school, high school, elementary, that they may come to know Jesus Christ? Let us thirst for the things of God. Jesus said, I thirst. And He alone can quench our thirst. He alone satisfies. And this morning, more than anyone else, He knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He knows you. And through His death, burial, and resurrection, He has made a way for us to know Him. He has made a way for us to be saved. And He has made a way for us to be satisfied. Let me read one more scripture for you. This is good. It comes from Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who were these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Look, you've suffered. You have suffered much. You are in the midst of suffering. Our city is in the midst of suffering, and they are thirsty. And no one knows their pain, and their suffering more than Jesus. And no one can satisfy them but Jesus. Are you thirsty? Have you come to the living water? That is Jesus. If not, will you come and will you drink deeply of the fountain that is the living water? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple verses of a hymn is going to remind us of the importance that we stay near to the cross. And we have seen to this point five sayings from Jesus from the cross. And maybe each one has, has touched you or spoken to you in a different way. But right where you are before we sing, but do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Do you know Him? If not, will you right now confess your sin, repent of your sin, and give your life to Him? Are you thirsty this morning? Are you thirsting after God? Are you hurting? Are you grieving? Are you suffering? Will you see your Savior on the cross? Will you hear His words, I thirst? Will you allow Him to comfort you and to strengthen you this morning? Father, as we enter into this week, as many of us maybe will be reading the Scriptures and we will be reflecting 
upon that final week of Jesus' earthly life before the crucifixion. As, as we'll go from the crowds shouting His name and chanting for Him, Hosanna, to shouts of crucify Him. The shouts of He is not here. He is risen. Oh, may we see You, God, for who You are this week. May we know Your sovereignty. And may we see that You were willing to suffer. That no one can identify with us like You can. And so may we just draw so close to You, staying near to the foot of the cross. May we just glorify You. May we glorify You. Father, as we sing a couple verses, will You just minister, Spirit of God, will You just minister to the hearts of those people who are here, we pray. Do what only You can do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's just sing a couple verses together. seated for just a moment. Man, there is rest available for you in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to I recognize uh, a special individual who is here with us this morning. Uh, he is a member of, of Northside, but I know it's been a little while because of health and other things that since he has been here, he is also a celebrity. An article was just written about Mr. Jim Farlow. Jim Farlow is with us this morning. Yeah, would you stand, Jim? You all know that earlier this year, Jim's precious wife of, of many years, Miss Dolly, passed away, and she's with Jesus. And Chris is our deacon of the week, I believe, if I remember correctly, so he's going to come and close us uh, with a word of prayer. If you haven't had a chance to say anything to, to Mr. Jim this morning, I uh, encourage you to do that. And just so thankful to each and every one of you who are here. Uh, it's been a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Close us in prayer, brother. I just want to say thank you to all of you who gave uh, to the Bibles. We, we got to have those ordered or sitting in boxes in my house, and we're ready to give those to the kids at the end of the upper season. So thank you for that. Dear Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you for all your blessings and mercy in our life, even though we don't deserve them, Lord. I thank you for the message we heard today uh, about you thirsting, Lord, how you, uh, you, you you tasted death for every man, Lord, and you you went through hell on the cross. Uh, and we saw your, your full humanity there, Lord. I pray 
uh, we would take this message of what you did on the cross out beside these four walls and uh, spread the good news, spread the gospel, Lord. Um, we ask these things according to your will and in Jesus' name. Amen.